Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning, Summit Church. It's great to see you. Happy Father's Day. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. My name is Mel Massingale, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Summit Church. And I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, there's a guest card in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to take a moment and fill that out. If this is your first time, or maybe you've been here a few times, but you just never filled out a guest card with us, uh, take a minute, fill that out. And then at the end of our worship experience, stop by our info center. Give that to them and let them know you're a guest with us. We'd love to get to know you a little better, find out some of your story, and to help you connect with us as well. Uh, so again, thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm glad you're here. So even if this is a one-off, you're just here with your dad, uh, visiting, whatever, I'm so glad you're worshiping with us. I also want to welcome all of you that are watching online, uh, visiting on our website at summitpa.church, or if you're uh, watching from Facebook Live, wherever you may be, and however you're joining us today, I pray that God blesses you as you worship with us today, and it is an honor for us to uh, be with you in your home or apartment or wherever you may be. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. I also want to say happy Father's Day to my dad. Haven't cried in a while, so I got to get one out, but happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you. He watches faithfully from Oklahoma. He goes to his church, and then he comes back and watches our church, so he is double anointed. But Dad, I love you. God bless you, and thank you for being a great dad. Um, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Um, uh, if you have kids in the room with you today, we built a beautiful kids facility. We believe in kids and we love kids, but if your kids get a little fussy, uh, we don't want them to be a distraction for you or the people around you. Uh, the, the service is out in the lobby on the screens. You can take your kids out there if you need to, or if you'd like to check your kids into Kids Church throughout the worship experience, you totally can. That's available. Uh, there's also a nursing mother's room. Actually, in the last service, it was a crying mother's room, and I said, maybe we need to have a crying mother's room in our next building, um, but uh, it might be wildly appropriate. So anyway, uh, if you need to take your kids out for any reason, we're glad they're in the room with us, but at the same time, if you need to, uh, there's other options available, so take advantage of that if you'd like. Uh, we love kids and teenagers here, and one of the things we love is uh, we've got our, a bunch of our teenagers are going to camp tomorrow, and uh, we're excited about that, and some of those teenagers are with us in this service today, and uh, I'm going to ask them to come forward, and they're going to come right down here and stand at the front of the stage. They're going to face me, but give these guys a round of applause as they come up. And any of our workers, if we've got any of our leaders that are going, yeah, come on up. And, and Ricky, this is just a few. How many kids do we have going to camp tomorrow? Kids and leaders, 18? So we have 18 students and leaders going to camp tomorrow, and we're believing that God's going to do something incredible in their life this week. While they're at camp, give me a second. I know my life was changed when I went to youth camp. Uh, I was called into ministry at youth camp. I was, uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit at youth camp. I mean, I had incredible experiences. God changed the trajectory of my life while I was at youth camp. Because I can tell you, I would not be a pastor if it wasn't for my experiences with God at a, at a youth camp. So I'm so grateful for what God did. And so we're going to get through this, but <laughs> I just want to take a minute and pray uh, for these students that God's going to do something incredible in their life. And if, um, <clears throat> and I know teenagers like nothing more than being up in front of a bunch of strangers. And so uh, we're going to embarrass them even more if we can. And I would like, if you've got a child, like your child is standing up here, I would love for you to come up and just, <laughs> I'm just a big ball baby today. <laughs> 
I would love for you to come up and just lay your hands on your child's uh, shoulder or back. If, um, if any of these kids don't have a parent here today, um, I would love for you, if uh, some of our prayer team members or any of our staff want to come and lay hands on some of the, the students, we're just going to pray for them, uh, that God will just bless them on their trip, and that God will give them an incredible experience while they're away. I can't help it. My baby girl's going to camp. Um, so I'll make it through the prayer, I promise. But this is what I want you to do. This is not a spectator sport. I want you to agree with us while we're praying for these students and while we're praying for these leaders. Um, they're going to have an incredible time, and God's going to do something really special in their lives uh, while they're away. So just agree with me in prayer while I'm praying. Lord, thank you so much for these students. Thank you for these leaders. Thank you that the week that they're about to experience was a God-ordained week, that, God, you want to do something in their lives and have them have an experience with you that they've never had before. So, Lord, I pray that you take away any fear or any anxiety that these students have as they're going away. God, I pray for safe travels on them as they go and as they come. God, I pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that you keep them physically safe, emotionally safe, and spiritually safe. God, I pray that while they're there, they would experience you in ways they can't even imagine. And I pray that when they come back, their life would be changed, the Lord, their trajectory had changed, and that millions, God, millions of people would be changed because of the students in this room and what they experience in you while they're away this week. So God, minister in them. Bless them. God, I pray for parents that are uh, maybe going to have some anxiety about their kids being gone. Bless them as well. Minister in their hearts, God. And I pray that you bless these leaders. Give them wisdom and insight and understanding and how to minister to these kids while they're at camp. And God, I pray that when they come back, there'd be an enthusiasm and a passion for you that they have never had. So God, I love you and I thank you in advance for what you're about to do through these students. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give these guys a round of applause as they're seated today. Love you guys. You messed up my mic. Uh, okay, I got it all out now. I'm good. Um, do me a favor. Please, please, please commit to pray for our students this week. They're leaving tomorrow morning, and they'll be back uh, Friday afternoon. But please commit to pray for them this week while they're at camp. I'm sure we'll have some social media posts just reminding you to pray for them. But uh, I'm believing that God's going God's gonna to change these students. It's going to change our schools through what he's doing through this youth ministry here at Summit Church. Um, so again, keep them in prayer. Uh, we are continuing a series today. Uh, on the Holy Spirit. We started this a few weeks ago, and when we did, uh, we kind of unpacked what Acts chapter 2 looked like. It was the day of Pentecost, and so we walked through what the Old Testament day of Pentecost was. We walked through the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, and then we talked a little bit about what Pentecost means to us today. Uh, and so week two then, last week, we started unpacking some of the gifts of the Spirit. Back in October, we did a, a series on the Holy Spirit, and we spent two weeks talking about all the gifts of the Spirit, and there are a number of them, and so I spent about five minutes on each of the gifts of the Spirit, which was really not enough, and so what I decided to do when we came back to this series was I wanted to unpack a couple of the gifts that are so misunderstood and, and bring so much confusion and sometimes division to churches, and so last week we talked about um, the gift of prophecy, what that means and what that looks like, and what that looks like for us today. Uh, in, a, in a corporate worship setting and in, a, in our personal lives, how to apply that. And really my goal with this series is to demystify the Holy Spirit and make it as practical as we possibly can. Because what we see in Scripture is uh, it's Jesus' desire for us to, um, for us to 
be in relationship with the Holy Spirit and for us to invite him into our lives in a powerful way and for the gifts of the Spirit to be at work in us and through us in corporate settings and in, in our own personal lives as well. And so that's what I've been trying to do. And so we did, last week we talked about prophecy and this week uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, tongues. Um, there was a little tension. Did you feel that in the room just then? Uh, and so I just want to tell you, if you're here today, and maybe you grew up in a tradition where you didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe, maybe, um, well, in the Corinthian church that we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what they had done is they elevated the gift of tongues above all the other gifts. They, they elevated it to a disproportionate level. And so as a result, it was being abused in their worship settings. Um, but what's happened in a lot of churches today is there are a few churches that do that, but so many churches ignore the gifts of the Spirit entirely. We don't elevate it, we bury it. Uh, we, we act like this portions of Scripture don't exist, and so as a result, we're living without the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that Jesus desired for us to live in. In fact, Jesus is the one who said, go wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. He gave the disciples instructions. Um, it was Paul who said, and we saw it last week, we'll see it again today, that he said, hey, um, I want you to earnestly desire and seek spiritual gifts. Um, so it's something that God wants for us. It's not something he's trying to get from us. And so when we put it in the right context, we understand that, hey, there is a place for it in our lives today. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're a little nervous right now, um, rightfully so, uh, I just want you to know we're going to walk through this in an honoring way. Um, we're not going to do anything weird or hokey. We just want to walk through what the Scripture says and help us apply it to our lives. So that's really what today is all about. So I just want to put you at ease before we even get going. Uh, when we look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul addresses the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And really, we're going to spend most of our time in 14. But, but what was going on in the Corinthian church at the time was that, um, like I said, the church had elevated the gift of tongues. And as a result, it was... It was being abused, and, and what was happening in their worship settings was that people would come in, and they were speaking in tongues, and uh, lots of people were doing it, and it was confusing, and it was weird, and in fact, later in chapter 14, we actually see that Paul rebukes them because he said people would come in, and they would think they were all crazy, and so the, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are to bring glory to God. And when God is glorified, it draws unbelievers and it builds up the body. So God is glorified and then these two things happen. That the, the unbelievers come in and they're attracted to what God is doing and then the body is built up. It's, but what was happening in the Corinthian church is um, new or, uh, people that were unbelievers were coming in and they were being repelled by what they saw and God wasn't being glorified because they were abusing the gifts because the gift was no longer about bringing glory to God but it was about me exercising my gift and bringing glory to me. So whenever we bring praise to the Lord, it's supposed to terminate with God. So our praise ends up on God. But what happens when the gifts are used inappropriately, uh, the praise ends up on people. And praise is never supposed to terminate anywhere other than with God. And so that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. So Paul writes this letter, and he's trying to fix it. And he just says, listen, um, basically he says, you're using the gifts of the Spirit, but you don't even like each other. Like you can't even get along. So what are you doing? Stop it, right? Uh, when, I, when I first came to Summit Church a few years ago, I said, uh, we're going to be a church that operates in the gifts of the Spirit, but we're not going to neglect the fruit of the Spirit. Because if we can either have one or the other, we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit every day of the week if we have to choose. Because I've known people who would prophesy 
And then with the same tongue they would prophesy with, they would gossip about people in the church when they weren't around. And how does that build up the body? How does that bring glory to God? And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. People were being selfish about the use of gifts. And as a result, God wasn't being glorified. And, and people were being repelled from the church because they were going, man, these people are crazy. And so what Paul was trying to do was help them put things in order and say, okay, hey, wait a second. You've elevated this. Put it back in its right place. Because he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. And he says, uh, basically, it doesn't matter what else you do if you're not loving each other well, the gifts are worthless. And so he's trying to help reposition things in the right place with the church. And so that's where we're at. That's a little bit of context as we jump into 1 Corinthians 14. Last week I read verse 1. We'll jump into verse 2. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So the implication here is that um, that it can be an earthly language, but it might not necessarily be an earthly language. Um, it, we see in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, at the beginning of that chapter, Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Again, he just reiterates, says what we said earlier, that um, if we don't love each other well, then it doesn't matter what kind of gifts of the Spirit are at work in our lives. If we're not doing what God's called us to do, the gifts are pointless. And so what he says here is, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, so what it, the implication is that the tongue is either, um, it's either uh, a, a, an earthly language that can be taught or known, or it might be a heavenly language that, that no one knows, that only God knows. And so there's this differentiation between these two, and, and what Paul, what seems to happen in, in the Corinthian church is that there's this confusion about the gifts. Um, we see clearly that there's a gift of unknown tongues given. And we see this at work. We see this. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples were baptized. So these men and women were waiting in the upper room. They're baptized in the Spirit. And they go out and begin preaching the Word, but they're preaching it in an unknown language. And they don't know what they're saying, but it's received by people who speak that language. So they recognize their language being spoken, and these people are preaching about Jesus, and 3,000 people convert to Christianity that day. Okay, so that is the gift of tongues that's always, I want to say this again, it's always associated with an interpretation, okay, and we'll see why in a minute. And then there's this private grace of tongues, and what Paul does is he differentiates between these two roads and says, basically, um, there's a public gifting that's, that's always accompanied with an interpretation, so it builds up the body, because if it's not, then it's confusing. And then there's a private grace of tongues, that that, that is a, a believer's ability to pray in an unknown language in a partnership with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit prays through us and prays with us in a language we don't know. And that's not for the public consumption, it's not for people, it is for us in our relationship with God. And so what was happening in the Corinthian church, I firmly believe what was happening is people weren't being intentionally malicious, but they were confusing the public gift with the private grace. So people would come together and they would begin to pray in the spirit publicly, but it was causing confusion in the church because there was no interpretation. So people would walk in and hear what was going on and they would go, man, these people are crazy, something's weird. And they would leave and never come back. And again, I get that, right? And so that's what was going on when we look at this. And so he says, again, we're, we're speaking to God, and it's a good thing, and we're uttering mysteries in the Spirit. It comes down to verse 4. It says, <clears throat> the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The other, another word for that is edifies himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So again, he's coming back to this idea that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are not to make us feel good or not for us to show off or anything like that. The purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to bring glory to God, to build up the body and to draw unbelievers. And so if it's not doing those things, then it's not the Spirit of God. Um, when we look at this passage, there's a couple things we can tell about the Holy Spirit. Uh, number one, when we pray in tongues, uh, we're speaking to God. So when we pray in an unknown language, what we're doing is we're speaking to God. When, when there's a, a public gift of tongues or a message in tongues, that is God speaking to his people through an interpretation. But when we pray in the Spirit, we're really praying to God directly because we don't even understand what we're saying. It's the Spirit praying with us in a way that we don't understand. We'll unpack that in just a moment. What we also see in verse 2 is it says we utter mysteries in the Spirit. So it says he utters mysteries in the Spirit as we pray in the Spirit. Um, to us, when we think about a mystery, we typically think of something that's unknown or maybe even unknowable. It's a mystery what happened, right? Um, and unfortunately, I'm not terribly cultured. So a lot of my reference cultural references are cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons. I just could be honest with you. Does anybody remember Scooby-Doo? Oh, yeah. Did you feel that? People just got excited. Oh, yeah, Scooby-Doo, right? You're not speaking in tongues if you say that. Scooby-Doo, that's not it, okay? So don't worry. So Scooby-Doo, if you've never seen it before, I just want to break it down for you. A group of teenagers and a dog would solve mysteries. They were sleuths, detectives, and so they had this van, this old van that they'd drive around in, and I gotta be honest with you, I wouldn't let my kids anywhere near that van with Shaggy. He just looks like a creeper to me. Um, so they got the mystery machine that they would drive around and solve mysteries, and if you've ever seen the show, this is what it looks like. Um, they find out, hey, there's a ghost haunting the old carnival, and we gotta investigate. And then they spend time, the whole show, trying to capture the ghost. And then they're trying to get away from the ghost. And then by the end of the show, they capture the ghost. And they've got him all tied up or in a barrel or something. And they go, well, let's see who that ghost really is. And they pull off the mask and they go, zoinks, it's old man Smithers. He owned the, the, you know, he owned the motor shop over there. And he goes, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky kids, right? <laughs> so what happens at the end of the show? The mystery is revealed. Who's the ghost? And they tear off the mask and they go, mystery revealed. Who, here's who the ghost is. So typically when we think of a mystery, and when we see it in this context in Scripture, we think of the pre-revelation mystery before the mask is taken off. But this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Scripture tells us that, that in this passage, the word mystery, it's a Greek word and actually means a revealed mystery. So what it means is it was a mystery, but now it's been revealed. So what we see in this context is that when we pray in the Spirit, we might pray about a situation we don't understand fully. But what the Spirit does is he gives us a revelation and gives us a revelation of the mystery. So it's like he's unmasking the mystery for us and helping us see what we are supposed to see. Now, it might be specific details, but it might just be an impression in our heart that we feel something and we just feel a direction or feel some guidance or we just feel a peace about something. But I'm telling you, in my life, there have been so many times that I've been in a place and I go, God, I don't know what to do here. God, maybe I'm reading a passage of scripture and I go, I'm not really sure how to interpret it. What does this mean, God? And I'll take a minute and I might pray in the spirit and God will drop revelation into our hearts. He'll, he'll give us direction. He'll, he'll, unveil a mystery to us. He'll reveal it to us to help us see 
what's really going on, what's at work. And maybe it's something where you've gotten some bad news about a situation in your life. Maybe for you, uh, something's going on with your kids and you're trying to figure out what direction to go. And there's something powerful about being able to just pray in the Spirit. Because again, the Holy Spirit is joining, connecting with our spirit. We partner together to pray. And what happens is a revelation is dropped into our lives about where we should go, what we should do, how we should navigate. And it's powerful to be able to do that. Um, Romans chapter 8 Verse 26 says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when we're in our weak points, when we're feeling uh, vulnerable, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what this is saying is there are times that we just don't know how to pray. We don't have the right words. And maybe there's that situation where we feel bottomed out and we're going, God, I'm at a loss. I have no clue how to pray about this situation, what to do, God. And that's when we just, we, we activate that, that spirit and we, okay, I'm going to let my spirit pray with the Holy Spirit about this situation. And these groans and utterings that we don't understand, that's the spirit praying through us. And, and when that happens, the spirit is praying directly to God, the will of God for us. I've... Man, I've prayed some stupid prayers in my life. Has anybody else ever prayed stupid prayers? Thank God for all of the girls he didn't help me date. <laughs> and thank God for the girl he did help me date. Um, you know, all the times that I prayed, God, open up this opportunity. Help me get that job. Whatever it was, and God shut it down and went, nope, I'm not going to do it. But, but when we pray in the Spirit, what happens is we're praying the will of God with the Spirit of God. And there's something powerful about that. Uh, and so these are the groans and utterances that, that we don't even understand. So we don't even understand what we're praying, but we're saying, we're basically submitting ourselves to God and going, okay, God, I trust you to, to your, for your will to happen because I don't know what needs to happen here. Uh, what we see in verse four, it says, uh, when we pray in the Spirit, it, we edify ourselves. It builds us up. See, the, the public gift is for the body. It builds up the body. But the private grace of tongues, when we pray in the Spirit, it edifies our spirit. It builds us up. Um, it says in Jude, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude, but in Jude verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So what do we see here? We see that when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're building ourselves up and we're building up our most holy faith. And that's something that maybe you're uncomfortable with. And I'm okay with that. Um, there's lots of things in Scripture I'm a little uncomfortable with, but it doesn't mean it's doctrinally wrong. It just means I'm uncomfortable with it. It means God's comfortable with it. I just need to get comfortable with it. And so that's, that's what praying in the Spirit does in a nutshell. And there's lots of other things, but those are the specific things we see from this passage. Let me move on. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says this. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So again, he comes back to this idea that he comes back to over and over and over in 1 Corinthians 14, that if I just bring a tongue and there's nothing else, there's no interpretation, there's no prophecy, there's no other building up, it's not going to help the body. So I can pray in the Spirit in a public setting if I want, but it's not going to help anybody. It's just selfish because I'm building myself up. And so he's trying to redirect their, their fervency and their passion for God away from that, that private 
grace to, to be something that will build up the body. And that's why he mentions revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching. He goes on to say in verse 10, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So what he says here is, and he acknowledged, he acknowledges this moment, he says, listen, as you strive to excel in the gifts of the Spirit, as you want to see the manifestations, that's a good thing. But make sure that your, your search for God doesn't cause you to bring injury to the body. Because they were so fervent about the manifestations of the Spirit that they disregarded what the body needed and they were focused on what they wanted and needed. And so he's trying to redirect that a little bit. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. And just what, a, what an excellent thought that is for any church in the United States. That, that as individuals, we should strive to excel in building up the body of Christ. One of the things he says here is there are doubtless many languages in the world and none without meaning. Um, and as, a, as a believer, as a pastor, one of the things I've heard over the years from people who uh, were resistant to the gift of tongues or, or praying in the Spirit is they said, Mel, it just sounds like people's making stuff up. It just sounds like people are babbling. And I, and I get that, honestly. There's been some times that that's what it sounds like. And, um, and when I read this passage, honestly, it kind of spurred a thought in me. And so I did some research. Um, there's a, there's a, an organization, it's the Society for International Linguistics, and, and what they do is they, they publish a catalog uh, called Ethnologue. And Ethnologue is the most extensive catalog of languages in the world. Um, and it's widely regarded and it's, I mean, it's very highly esteemed. And, and they published in their latest catalog, it's the 17th edition, uh, it's just a catalog of all the known languages in the world that are spoken today. So these are living languages that are spoken today. And I just want to ask, this is an audience participation moment in, this, in the message. Um, shout out to me how many languages you think are spoken on planet Earth today. Just shout it out. 500. 1,700. 1,005. Somebody say five. It's more than five. So 3,000. Any more guesses? 4,500. That's a great guess, Bob. Very educated. 44,000. That's a little high, my man. All right. Let me, let me tell you. Ethnologue, uh, they have documented 7,106 languages known on planet Earth that are spoken actively today. 7,106. So what that means is um, there are dialects that are split off of the same language family tree uh, and then there are, there are branches that we've never even imagined or heard of. Um, there are the Romance languages and the Germanic languages and all the different things, Slavic, but at the end of the day, there's languages that when you hear them sound crazy. If you don't believe me, go home today and Google or, or look on YouTube for, um, for strange languages, and you'll pull up the audio files. You'll be able to listen to some of these languages, and they sound like they're making them up. Um, there's a language spoken by uh, about 8 million people in South Africa, and the, the dominant letters, the consonants in their language are C and K and Q, I believe. And you pronounce those letters, and and most of their language is based on clicks. 
You may have heard it before. Uh, there's a language in the Canary Islands that was actually developed uh, several hundred years ago, and it was developed as a full-fledged recognized language. And what it is is it's people whistling. All it is is whistling. That's it. And it was developed because the topography of this island is very mountainous, and there's deep ravines, and they knew that they couldn't holler across the island and tell people what was going on. And so what they did is they developed this language that's taught in their public school system where they will whistle, and the, the pitches and the tones and the emphasis they, they put on the different places, I mean, it is a full language. So they can have deep conversations across an island based just on whistles. And if I heard that, I would go, that's not whistling. In fact, after the last service, Pastor Steve said every time he goes downtown Indiana, that people are speaking that language to him for some reason. They're whistling at him. <laughs> so, but it's just the construction workers, right? And he's like, well, yeah. So. Wait, when you listen to some of these strange languages, it sounds like babbling. It sounds like somebody might be making that up. And so when Paul says, hey, there's so many languages and none of them were without meaning, what he's saying is, um, don't be so quick to judge what you hear and say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. So what he's trying to help us see is just because it doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean it's not authentic and real. Um, so when we look at 7,106 languages in the world, and then we go, but God is not even confined by that. God, God could speak a heavenly language through us, something totally original if he wanted to. And so just understand, when we hear something, let's not immediately disregard it. Let's extend grace and the benefit of the doubt. And let me go a step further. When you feel something in you that maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to work through you, maybe a, a prayer language, and you're a little resistant because you go, no, 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 that's probably just me. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's one of the 7,106 languages known on planet Earth, or maybe it's even a language given by heaven. So let's not be so quick to judge that and to assume that it's babble or made up. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says this, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So he's saying, if you're in a corporate setting and you pray in a tongue, you better interpret it. Because again, if it's not interpreted, it doesn't bring benefit for the body. It's selfish. Then he goes on to say, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So again, I referenced this earlier. I've said some dumb prayers before. And so sometimes it's better for me to disengage my brain in the prayer process and engage my spirit. Because the spirit prays the will of God. So what he says is, um, hey, Sometimes i got to bypass my brain entirely because sometimes my brain gets me in trouble. Sometimes my own impressions or thoughts or ideas or preconceived ideas or biases get me in trouble. So sometimes I need to pray in the Spirit instead. Verse 15 says, what am I to do? So as a result of this knowledge, he says, what am I to do? He says, I'll pray in the Spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing with the Spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So he says, it's an and both Opportunity for us, a proposition where we'll say, hey, I'm not going to disregard praying with my mind. I'm, I'm going to keep doing that. But there's times that I need to engage the Spirit to pray. So it's something I'm going to do both. And what was happening in the Corinthian church is they had elevated the gift so highly and that the tongue so highly that they were disregarding everything else. So he's trying to bring correction again. But he says, the gift of tongues is not a bad thing. You just have put it in a bad place. 
we've elevated it too high. We've, we've got it in the wrong place, so let's put it in the right place. He goes on to say in verse 16, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And I love this. You sense a theme in this, that he keeps bringing it back to building up people, that at the end of the day, it's not about the gift, it's about uh, what the gift does in people's lives. And the gift is all about building people up and drawing people and pointing people back to God. And he said, so if if you're coming in and you're speaking in tongues, um, but, but there's no interpretation, when somebody comes in from the outside, uh, they're gonna be confused. And they're not going to be able to agree with your prayer. Because the word amen there, it means so be it or let it be. And so, you know, when you're in a group setting, maybe you're at a family meal and somebody prays and then everybody says amen. That amen doesn't mean the end of the prayer. We're done praying, now we're going to eat. That's not what that means. What it means is let it be or let it come to pass. And so there's this this sense of agreement when we say amen. So in some churches, people will say amen. Yeah, on cue, thank you. And what they're saying when the pastor's preaching, the, the people in the crowd are bringing an agreement. They're saying, let it be so, let it come to pass. And so what Paul is saying here is, if, if somebody from the outside comes in and they hear people praying in the Spirit um, and there's no interpretation, they're not going to be able to be in agreement with the people that are here. They're not going to understand what's going on. And so he's saying, we defer, we lay down that gift or the, or the, the grace of private grace of tongues for the sake of unbelievers. So churches all across America get in trouble when they are more focused on making people inside the church happy than they are drawing people from outside the church. And our church does a really good job. Uh, Our church is is excellent. Uh, We don't have petty fights and stupid things. That doesn't happen here. We don't let it happen here. But um, there are churches all across America that are dying because they're more focused on keeping people satisfied and pacified in their church than they are about reaching unbelievers. And so they can't reach unbelievers because that would cause them to make people in their church unhappy. So they just won't make people in their church unhappy. And what Paul is saying is he's, he flies in the face of that and says, it's not either or. You can grow people in the body and you can draw unbelievers. But the people in the body have to be mature enough to lay some things down once in a while. And this is one of those cases. Verse 18. Paul says this. I love this statement. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Sounds kind of cocky, doesn't he, when he says that? But again, he's bringing emphasis back to the the fact of uh, we don't disregard what God wants to do in our life, the spirit in our lives. We don't disregard that. He says, I pray in tongues more than any of you. So he's just making a statement. Tongues is important. In fact, I, I speak in tongues more than any of you do. So again, he's trying not to devalue it, but he's trying to help assign the right value in the context of their church. So he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brings back that idea. It's got to build up the body. It's got to attract and draw unbelievers. He goes in this next portion, and he... Um, Oh, I'm going to skip a few verses. We don't need to read it all. He gets down to a portion and he talks about orderly worship in the context of a worship setting. So he's talking about, um, again, the difference between the private, uh, the private grace and the public gift. And he kind of walks through that. It's interesting. In verse 26, he says, uh, what then, brothers, when you come together, when you come together for worship, he's saying, 
Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And so what he's saying here is you're doing it wrong, Corinthian church, because you're focused on um, what, the, what attention you get and what you can get out of the experience. And he says, but you need to be more focused on what you contribute to the experience. And, and what happens in churches a lot of times is we come to church and we start focusing on what we get out of it. And we start going, well, you know, the worship team didn't sing that song I like. Or the worship team sang the song I didn't like. And they sang it for too long. And it was too loud. And the pastor, he wasn't as funny as he was last week. And I don't know, I just don't know if I can keep going there. You know, um, the greeters, they just weren't as nice as I thought they should have been. I thought they were going to be nicer. I, I expected a hug when I walked in. They just shook my hand. What's up with that? Whatever your complaint may be, what happens is we start treating the church like a restaurant. Well, if we go to a restaurant, if, if after church today you go, to, you go to eat and the service is bad, it takes an hour to get your food, and when they bring the food out, it's all cold. Well, you may complain, you may not, but you're probably never going to go back there again. You know why? Because you didn't get what you wanted. Rightfully so. But the body of Christ is supposed to be different. What Paul says here is when you come to worship, it's not about what you get. It's about what you contribute. See, God wants his church, his bride, to be contributors and not consumers. And what's happened in our churches so many times is we've become consumers. I want to make me happy. I want to get what I want. I want to get it my way. And what God says is, no, 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 you're playing the wrong mindset. What you have to be is a contributor. And I want to point something else out. Did you notice it didn't say money? He wasn't even talking about money. He was talking about gifts, talents, abilities, time. And I'm telling you, some of the greatest kids workers in, in America are sitting in this room not working in kids' ministry because you're, contrib- I mean, you're consuming and not contributing. There are people in this room, you've got a, a talent and a gift for leadership, but yet you're contributing instead of, I mean, you're consuming instead of contributing, so you show up and you go to church and you worship and you leave, but you don't contribute. There are people here, you've got giftings that we don't even know about, we can't even imagine, but we don't see them because it's about what we get instead of what we give. And Paul says that is not the right way to do church. That is not the healthy way to do church. I know you like that part, so I won't stay there anymore. (laughs) He goes on in, in, well, he goes on after verse 26 and just talks about, hey, you should only have this many messages in tongues in a service, and they should take turns so that it makes sense, and there should always be an interpretation, and you should only have this many prophecies, and, and uh, you know, if somebody brings a message in tongues, they better pray that they have the interpretation. If they don't have the interpretation, don't, prof- uh, don't bring a message in tongues. And so he gives some very specific instructions on what that should look like, because he's wanting to make it as orderly and, as possible for the unbelievers. And we get down to verse 31. It says, for all Uh, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophet are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I want to reiterate that. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Um, If you're here today and you feel a little conflicted in your spirit, and you're going, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. That's okay. Um, But God's not a God of confusion, he's a God of peace. And so my prayer for you is that as you explore getting to know the Holy Spirit and that aspect of the Trinity, um, that God will give you a deeper sense of peace day by day as you push in and press into what God's got for you. Um, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but you wouldn't marry someone on the first date, hopefully, right? 
you, get some, you take some time. You get to know them. You get to know their heart and their character and what they're about and what they love. And, and that's the same thing we do with the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't just jump in with both feet necessarily right away. You may be somebody who needs to go, okay, well, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? And that's really what happens in our relationship with God in, in terms of the Holy Spirit. I, so my prayer is that he doesn't, he takes away any confusion and he gives you a sense of peace when it comes to this. Um, right before that, it says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And what that means is this. It means if you come in here today and you say, Mel, I don't want to speak in tongues. I've got good news for you. You won't speak in tongues. It's not going to happen. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So if you don't want to prophesy, you're not going to prophesy. It's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about that. And let me put you at ease in another way, too. If, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and I've got no interest in being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, there's not a section in heaven for people who are just saved and people who are baptized in the Spirit. And the people who are baptized in the Spirit, they get to sit closer to Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and everybody else has to sit in the back. Like, you know, that's not how this works. If you, if you are saved by the blood of Christ, then you are a child of God, period. But this is the thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it does is it allows us to do what God's calling us to do with our full, effect, uh, full effectiveness, with a full empowerment. It'd be like if someone, uh, they made the 100-meter dash in the Olympics, and then right before it started, they put a cast on their leg and decided to run that 100-meter dash with a cast on their leg. Now, they would finish the race, and they'd be fine, but they could never be as effective as they could as if they didn't have that limitation. And so what happens is, when we choose to live our life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then what we're doing is we're living it without our full effectiveness. So we'll never be able to live up to our full capacity in Christ if we don't have that. So it doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen. It doesn't mean you're bad at all. But what it means is God's got more for you if you want it. Um, and so I, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel bad because at the end of the day, this, this, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. If you don't want it, God's a gentleman. God doesn't force you. That's why we invite people to make Jesus Lord of their lives because God's not in here demanding anything. God, God's not trying to threaten you or shame you or scare you. God's inviting you. The same thing is said about the Holy Spirit. He's inviting you. You see, the, the men and women that were in the upper room, when they were baptized in the Spirit, when they preached the Word of God to the men and women in Jerusalem, um, those were all willing participants. They all went there seeking what God had for them. They wanted what happened. So God didn't make them. I used to think in my mind that, that the Holy Spirit would come on you and then the Holy Spirit would be like, okay, now you're a puppet. Like stick an arm up in our head and like make us talk and that's not how it works. See, we're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Um, so the, the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So I just want to put you at ease. Does that make sense? Um, let, me, let me go on. And this has nothing to do with my message at all, but I just want to share this because this is part of this passage. Is that okay? Well, it doesn't matter if you say it's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, the second part of verse 33, this is what it says. It says, as in all the churches of, of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they, if, if, I'm sorry, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, I'm not going to take a long time here. I just want to 
share my heart with you on this. You've seen my wife preach here. You've seen um, some of our female worship leaders share with you and exhort and, and talk. You've seen Steph is up here a lot. You, we put women on stage because we feel like they're just as called by God and just as talented and just as anointed as men are. And so um, what this passage, let me be specific about this passage. Um, what Paul is referring to is in the Corinthian church, there was a common practice, as there were in many churches of that era, that uh, men and women commonly set separately. So they would set, uh, set seat separately in the uh, worship setting. And so uh, you had men on one side, women on the other. And what would happen is the women were largely uneducated. Uh, it wasn't common for a woman to be educated. And so when the, the minister would say something that the woman didn't understand, uh, what they would do is holler out to her husband across the room. Hey, honey, what did he mean by that? Can you imagine how distracting that would be in a worship setting if we just decided to start doing that? And so then the husbands would respond back, and before you know it, there'd, there'd be confusion in the church. And so what Paul was doing was not, was not trying to make a mandate for all, all time, all history, that women should not talk in church, they should not be in front, they should not lead. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, hey, let me speak to this situation in your congregation. It's causing confusion, it's causing division, there's problems, so stop it. Wait till you get home. Just make a note and ask your husband when you get home. That's what he was trying to say. He was not trying to make a mandate for all time that women should not be in leadership. Uh, what he was saying is, I'm going to speak to this situation. So the question is, do you, do you take this literally? Um, I think you take it literally in context. You know, we, we accept what the Bible says, but we have to look at it in context and go, well, it makes sense in the context. Um, but this was not intended to be carry weight for all eternity. Does that make sense? Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program. Verse 39 says this. So my brothers, listen to this, earnestly desire to prophesy. So this phrase earnestly desire means that, that we, in our spirit, our heart, the core of who we are, wants the spiritual gifts, wants to prophesy. So he says earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So I just want to stop there. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, right? He said that at the very beginning of chapter 14. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And then he comes back here and says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. What he's trying to say is tongues are an important part of our normal, everyday spiritual life. But if we elevate it to a point that's unhealthy, we're in trouble. So he wants us to emphasize it in our walk with Christ. And he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. And again, that comes back to the idea that we don't want to repel unbelievers because we're taking advantage of our Christian liberties. Um, This is one of the most misunderstood and abused spiritual gifts, is the gift of tongues. Uh, it's one of the gifts that causes the most division in churches. It causes churches to split and fight. Um, and, and honestly, this is not an easy thing to talk about because we want to do it with enough sensitivity that uh, if you're here and you're uncomfortable, that you see what the Word of God says, but we don't want to shy away from the truth of the Word either. So we want to walk through this together in a way that is not, um, not on either extreme. Um, if you're here today and you're seeking the Holy Spirit, um, we want you to keep seeking, keep asking. Um, it's not about the gift, it's about the giver of the gifts. Uh, one of the things, when I was a young man, and I got so sidetracked on, I just want to speak in tongues, because that's what some of my friends have done, and I, if I want to be a ministry, that's what that we have to do, and all that kind of stuff. Man, I was so focused on that. And 
I had somebody tell me one time, no, 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 stop focusing on the gift, start focusing on the giver of the gift. And it made so much sense that it's not about what I can get, it's about being, having a heart connection with, with God through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, keep seeking the giver of the gifts. Um, keep inviting the Holy Spirit into your life for that, that experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, Wednesday night, we had our second Wednesday and at the end of the message, we had a great speaker uh, from Texas. He was here and spoke, and, and we had um, several dozen people had come forward for prayer. And so our prayer team and some of our staff, we were going through and just praying for people, and I stopped and I prayed with the woman, and I said, hey, what can I pray with you about? And she said, um, hey, I want to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, hey, that's great. So I began praying with her. We prayed for about three minutes, and I just laid my hands on her and began to pray. And you know what happened? Nothing. She wasn't baptized in the Spirit. She's like, all right. What now? I said, well, uh, do me a favor. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go home tonight. And, uh, and, I, and I said what I told you earlier. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us do anything, okay? The, the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So I just said, this is what you do. Tonight you go home and in just in your bedroom by yourself. Uh, if you feel something in you, just begin to speak it out. Because it could be the Holy Spirit. And I said, if it's not the Holy Spirit, you're going to know it. If it's just you making stuff up, you, you, you'll know it pretty quick. But if it's the Holy Spirit, there, there's going to be kind of a connection you feel, just kind of a sense of, okay, this is right. And I said, just, just see what happens when you get home. And, and experiment a little bit, just in the privacy and safety of your own room and see what happens. Um, and I would say the same thing to you, because we, we get to know God. We build trust with the Holy Spirit. Because uh, some, for some of you in this room, this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. For some of you, this is an old hat. You've heard about this over and over. You can probably preach this message better than I can. But what I want us to do is not be so afraid or uncomfortable with what God wants for us that we disregard it and say, nope, I'm only going to pay attention to the parts I like and are uncomfortable with. Um, when, when I was a young man, um, I, I went to a, a meeting. It was a church service, and a cousin of mine invited me to. So I went, and really I just wanted to hang out with my cousin. And, um, and at the end of the message, the, the preacher that was speaking said, hey, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward. This was a very traditional setting, and, uh, and we are not in that same kind of setting at all. But he invited us forward, and we came forward, and we're standing. And he walks by, and he goes, hey, are you here for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, sure. And he said, okay. And, and I, I wanted it, but I was a little uncomfortable with it, so I, I was a little resistant. I think in my mind I still thought, well, if the Holy Spirit wants me to have it, he'll make me have it. But I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do it, but you know what I mean? I was kind of like that. So he said, okay, raise your hand. So I raised my hands, and he put his hand on my chest, and he, he said, what's your name? I said, my name's Mel. I said, okay, great. So, Lord, I thank you for Will right now. So I'm standing. Like, do I interrupt this guy? Do I tell him? No, I'm not going to do that. It's just awkward. So he starts praying. Lord, I pray that you bless, uh, bless Will. Baptize him in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray. That, and he starts praying this prayer for Will. And in my mind, all I could think about was some dude named Will that was driving in his car somewhere. <laughs> He's just driving along. He's like, what in the world? He's speaking in an unknown language. <laughs> see everybody's experience with the holy spirit is a little different just like so many people in this room your salvation experience may be different than others maybe some people came forward to an altar maybe uh, you got saved praying a prayer with your grandma in a bedroom somewhere maybe you had an experience with a coach that that he led you to the lord i don't know what it was but everybody's salvation experience is a little bit different um when i was baptized in the spirit um i felt like 
I had to do what I had seen. And what I'd seen was, well, you go forward and then a whole bunch of people gather around you and lay their hands on you. And you have 15 people praying for you. And if, if you, they're going to pray for you. And if, it doesn't, if you don't get baptized in the Spirit, then maybe God didn't hear you. So they're going to pray louder then after that. They're going to turn up the volume a little bit. And you're going to stand there as long as you need to. And, uh, and honestly, I'll just be real with you. That was not me, man. I don't, I don't want 15 people praying for me. So I did all that mess, and it was just uncomfortable. And, uh, and, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I wasn't even really chasing after it. I, I, I was standing at the front of a room. At the end of a service, I was praying by myself over on the side. And all of a sudden, I just began to speak in this unknown language. And it was like, okay, that's pretty cool. I had this experience with God, but God didn't make me do it. And it was this quiet moment by myself. So maybe you're here today and you feel like you got to come forward. Maybe you feel like it's got to look like this. It doesn't. God can do it any way he wants to. But the point isn't the gift. The point is that you're seeking the giver of the gift. And so this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, we're not going to do anything weird or funky. But if you're here today and, and you're interested in that, that's great. We're going to pray with you if, you want, if you'd like that. Um, but even if you're not, even if you're resistant, I want to challenge you. Go home today and this week. Just be praying. God, give me revelation of who you are. Help me see that. Give me a heart for you and, and begin seeking the Holy Spirit and just get to know him and see what he'll do in your life. Um, before we can ever have an experience with the Holy Spirit, though, the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. So when we are saved, that's one experience. And then there's a secondary experience where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so before we can get to that secondary experience, we have to have the primary experience of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit's here today. He's drawn some of you to, to Jesus Christ because that's his job. He points people back to God. And so before we can get there, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life if you've never done that. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved, uh, but I want to be. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you say, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Is there anyone? Thank you. Yeah, a couple hands on my left over here. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Thanks, guys. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to experience new life in him. Is there anyone else? Just a few more seconds. Thanks in the back. I see over there on my left. Praise God. Okay, thank you. Over, my, over here on my right, I see you, buddy. Praise the Lord. I'd like every person in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer after me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to save me and wash me and make me whole. Today, I am new and I'm never going back to my old life. I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, there's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. 
Fill out the side that said salvation for us. We just want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. We want to help you grow in your, in your spiritual walk and, uh, and help point you in the right direction. So we want to connect you with resources and relationships that are going to help facilitate that in your life. So fill that out and let us know about it. Just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. If you can't reach one of the cards or maybe you're watching online, I want to encourage you, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, uh, we're going to respond back to you and we're going to help you do the same thing. We're going to help you grow in your faith and take the next step. This is what's going to happen right now. These guys are going to lead us in another song. We're going to worship together. And as we're doing that, our prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage. And if you're here today and you need prayer, maybe you're here and you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'd love for somebody to pray with you about that. Um, our prayer team can pray with you about that today. They're ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you have a physical need, sickness, disease, illness, something going on in your body. We believe our God still heals. And if you need prayer today for a physical issue, we want to pray with you about that. Uh, maybe you want to stand in for somebody else. Maybe you've got a family or a loved one who's going through a time and they need prayer. You can come and stand in for them and let us agree with you in prayer about whatever your need may be. Stand your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we're dismissed today. Guys, um, I'm excited about what God's doing here. And I'm so excited that I get to be on this journey with you. I love you. I didn't cry over the over services today. I love you more than you know. I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day.